0: The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. We as uh, so we are going to the Isaac's story, Isaac's cycle, begins with the marriage and coming together of Isaac and Rebecca. And to really get the background, I want to back up just a little bit and review the end of chapter 25, because we never actually finished that story very well, uh, where Isaac and Rebecca meet. It's important because it really sets up what's going to happen in the the section in chapter 25, and it's important to get the backdrop of this. So let's look just real briefly at how they met. If you remember, uh, Abraham's servant had been commissioned by Abraham to go find a wife for Isaac. Isaac was pushing 40 years old, still single, apparently unable to find a wife for himself. Um, And Abraham was very adamant that Isaac not marry a wife locally, uh, that that, that he needs to go find a wife from Abraham's own clan or people. So he commissions his servant to go far away to Haran or Padan Aram, many hundreds of miles north where uh, Abraham's family came from. And from that place find a wife. And so the servant saddles up ten camels worth worth of treasures and goods and travels up to this faraway land. And uh, (coughs) we find the servant arriving, and the first thing he does is he prays that God would direct him to the person that God chose. And notice what it says in 24.14. He prays, this is my request. I will ask one of them, please give me a drink from your jug. And she says, yes, have a drink and I will water your camels too. Let her be the one you have selected as Isaac's wife. So the, uh, the servant has this very strong sense that he's on a mission to find God's will, to discover God's chosen person, Isaac and that this isn't just random not just any girl will do that uh, he wants to find the specific person that God has chosen for Isaac and I call this a match made in heaven and it really is a match made in heaven because it's a a match that God put together right and the servant has a sense of that that uh, he's just not going to find anybody but he's going to find the one God chose and uh, that God has handpicked a special person for Isaac right and so he goes and he prays, and indeed God answers his prayer in just incredible ways. Uh, this girl comes. She does offer, amazingly, to water his 10 camels, about five, potentially 500 gallons worth of water. No small task when you've got a little three-gallon jug. You can calculate the number of trips back and forth to the well. Uh, she proves herself to be a person of character. She's uh, She's beautiful. And she comes from the right family. In fact, she is actually a, a granddaughter of, of Abraham's uh, brother. And so it's, it's in every way a perfect match. And uh, the servant then has the uh, task of kind of selling this to the family. He does a brilliant job doing this. And in the end, he's convinced and everybody agrees. And it picks up the story in verse 54. It says, "Early the next morning, Abraham's servant said, "'Send me back to my master.'" Uh, But uh, uh, the family replies, but we want Rebecca to stay with us at least 10 more days. Then she can go. But he said, don't delay me. The Lord has made my mission successful. So he has this very strong conviction and sense that God has been in this from beginning to end. God is doing this and God is bringing this couple together. It is indeed a match made in heaven. God has handpicked Rebecca and uh, eventually the family concedes and they ask Rebecca, Rebecca, what do you want? And it's always good when the girl has consent (laughs) and she consents. She says, I will go. I I too am convinced that God is in this, that that God is doing this. And I believe that God is calling me to this foreign place. And in many ways, Rebecca's call parallels and kind of matches uh, Abraham's call. There's a lot of parallels in the story. And she becomes kind of a female version of Abraham leaving her family, her home, leaving Haran and going to this new promised land. And it's interesting, uh, the parents, it's always good when there's a wedding that the parents bless the wedding. Uh, When the parents don't bless the wedding, it's a bad sign, right? And maybe some of you have had to endure that, parents who were not favorable of your wedding. And it's a very painful thing. But thankfully, even though they're sending their daughter far away, they bless it. And note what, note what their blessing is. It says, They gave her this blessing as she parted. Our sister, may you become the mother of many millions. May your descendants be strong and conquer the cities of their enemies. Uh, amazing parallel to God's blessing of Abraham. right? In fact, the last time that Abraham, God blesses Abraham, it sounds very much like this. You have millions upon millions of descendants and that your descendants will uh, possess the gates of your enemies, is what God had told Abraham. So uh, and it, it highlights both the blessing of the parents that they're in favor and support of it, but also reminds us this, this is not just about Abraham uh, Abraham, not just about Isaac and Rebekah and their wedding and God bringing them together, but it really is about the fulfillment or ongoing of God's promise.? Okay, That's not just that they're going to get married, but the anticipation is... That you know, they may be losing their daughter, but they're going to get lots of grandkids. We want those grandkids, right? We like those grandkids, and that's what they're saying. You know, we we look forward to having children and children's children, and it reminds us of what's it, what's going on here. God has picked her to fulfill and carry out His promise to make Abraham uh, the father of many nations. Um, so they get on their camels and they head back many hundreds of miles and I love the scene as they approach Isaac's home, right? And in in Genesis, one of the things as you read through Genesis, as you study Genesis, the cycles of stories often build on previous stories and you always want to look in Genesis for how it's representing past stories, right? Let me read this and let me see if you can pick up the past story that this is hinting at. Uh, meanwhile, Isaac, whose home was in the Negev, had returned from Bir Lahairoi. One evening, as he was walking and meditating in the fields, he looked up and saw the camels coming. When Rebecca looked up and saw Isaac, she quickly dismounted from her camel. Who is this man walking through the fields to meet us? She asked the servant. And he replied, It is my master. So Rebecca covered her face with a veil, and the servant told Isaac everything he had done. And Isaac brought Rebekah into his mother Sarah's tent, and she became his wife. Okay, does that ring bells? Does that go back to anything? It should trigger images of the garden, right? Here's this guy in the cool, and if if I use these words, it would fit better. Out in the cool of the day, walking with God, right? Out in the garden, actually, out in the field, here's this picture of Isaac who uh, remarkably, we don't, we don't really know a lot about Isaac. There's very little told about him, other than that his dad tried to kill him one day, <laughs> and he dodged that bullet. And then he grows up, and he gets married, and has kids, and then it's all about Jacob. We get this little glimpse into Isaac's life. And here's this guy who apparently, every day in the cool of the day, would was recapturing something that, Adam and Eve had in the garden. He would go out and meditate or pray. Some some versions translate the word pray would also fit. But it's this picture of this guy walking out in the cool of the day, out in the fields, out in the garden, meeting with God. Um, Great song, Just a Closer Walk. I mean, this is Isaac. He's out there singing that song, Just a Closer Walk. You know, he's meeting with God. Uh, He's a guy of prayer. Uh, you, You wonder what he's meditating on. Like when I meditate, I, I meditate on Scripture, and I think God calls us that to meditate on Scripture. He didn't have a Bible, hadn't been published yet, you know. Could not go down to the Christian bookstore and buy a copy. Uh, what did he meditate on? What well, the, the Bible doesn't say, but throughout Scripture, meditation is primarily the act of contemplating God's past great works and deeds. Well, he may not have had Scripture, but he had a history, a heritage from his own father, his own upbringing of a God who had done incredible and miraculous deeds, of a father who knew what it meant to trust in God's promise and to pray those promises into existence, right? And uh, I don't know, maybe he was thinking about the fact that it had fallen to him to be carrying on as father of many nations. And he's going, I don't even have a wife yet. How am I going to have kids. How's this going to happen? But remembering what God had done in his own parents' lives, that uh, his father had had... Him at age 100. It's going, man, I'm just a young buck, 40. i got 60 years to catch up with my dad, right? Uh, God can do this. And just remembering God's faithfulness to his promise and his word. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I wonder too, uh, and again, this, it doesn't say this, um, but, but you wonder, as, as Isaac would meditate and reflect back on on his parents, on on the things that God had taught Abraham about His promise, about His work, you wonder how often Isaac would think back to that fateful day when his own father bound him and tied him up and laid him on an altar and, and had the fire in this hand and the knife in this fire in this hand and the knife in this hand and was about to slit his throat. You know, what does that do to a child? <laughs> Okay, modern day, that would be cons- constituted in every way as child abuse. You'd go to jail for that. Okay, um, and yet, uh, what's remarkable here is it did not have a damaging effect on Isaac, right? Because the message it communicated to Isaac, Isaac knew how dearly his father loved him. I don't think Isaac for a day ever doubted how much his father Abraham loved and cared for him, and and dearly loved him as his as it says in the passage on that story, his, his only child, his only son. Uh, and yet, Isaac saw that his dad was willing <coughs> to sacrifice him because his love for God was greater than his love for him. What a lesson to teach a child. That even our love for our children can never come before our love for God. That loving and serving God and obeying Him absolutely must be the number one thing in our life, right? Right? And I think that message was communicated by example to Isaac. And uh, as I think about that, I I want to take a short side trail for just a second and talk about guilty parent syndrome. Okay? Is anybody familiar with guilty parent syndrome? I actually made up the name myself, but it's a phenomenon that's true actually. And I've talked to many people who have seen this. All right? And it's a it's a syndrome. It's a disease that particularly affects. Full-time Christian workers who work cross-culturally. Okay, which would be all mostly all of you, right? Okay, and this is what it looks like. Um, guilty Parent syndrome means uh, we have the sense of guilt that we are sacrificing our children as we serve God, right? That God has called us to these crazy places, and we've had to leave our home and our you know our country and we've had to leave family and we've drug our kids away from their friends, and away from their grandparents, away from, you know, their favorite food, and we have inflicted on them this life of suffering, right? Maybe we have not bound their hands, and maybe we're not going to slit their throat, but there's the sense that somehow we have sacrificed their life on the altar so we could serve God, right? And uh, I've talked to people who work a lot with third-culture kids and with parents and families around the world, and this is true in... Uh, universally of parents who do this, they have this sense of guilt that uh, they have put this on their children, right? That they are sacrificing their children in order to serve God and walk in obedience to Him, right? And the the, the result is that because of this guilt, we seek to compensate for it by really catering to our kids in a very unhealthy and unnatural way, right? And uh, we let our kids make decisions about our family and our life that we would never do if we were back in our home country, right? And uh, it's, it's born out of the sense of guilt that, well, you know, little Johnny, I'm sorry I've wrecked and destroyed your life, so I'm going to make it up for you by letting you rule our household here, okay? essentially what it comes down to. Uh, now maybe some of you have felt that, some of you have gone through that, probably all of you have. Um, and I hear it, I see it often this way, and I, I, I can't even tell you the hundreds of times I have heard this, okay? Okay? Um, And you know, so don't don't say this to me, I'm just warning you, don't say this to me. But I hear this over and over and over again. I hear people say this Pastor, you know, we love CCF. We think you're a great Bible teacher, and when we go, you feed us the word and we really appreciate that. But we're leaving because my kid wants to go to this church because his friends are there. Right? I have heard that, no kidding, hundreds of times, right? And and what it's saying is, we feel like a good place for our family is here, but we're going to cater to our kids who are going to govern and rule our lives because we feel guilty that we have drugged them to Thailand. Right? Well, let me encourage you from the, the story of uh, Isaac. Isaac's a great example. Here's this guy out in this field, meditating, seeking God. He has not suffered because he was sacrificed at the hands of his father. Right? He has learned the important lesson that first thing is to love and obey God. Right? Don't ever feel guilty for sacrificing your children. <laughs> okay, there's a quote. <laughs> Lift that one out of context. <laughs> yeah. Um, we should never feel guilty about putting God first in our life, right? It is one of the greatest gifts we can give to our children to communicate and show them, look, kids, we love you. You are very important to us. But God is more important, Now, sadly, sometimes people use this as an excuse to neglect and ignore their kids. That's not right either, and I'm not saying that. I'm not saying we take an attitude that we don't care about the care and uh, needs of our children so that we can go up and serve God and ignore them. Uh, We need to affirm and be be very diligent to let our kids know how much we love them and how important they are to us. Uh, But we should never feel guilty... That We are walking in obedience to God's call in our life and doing what God called us to. Okay, that is the greatest gift you can give your kids is a life of faithful obedience to Christ, right? And uh, don't let your kids, uh, I mean, listen to your kids, let them be a part of what your family does as a, as a family. Don't let them take control of your life, though, all right? God has given us as parents the responsibility to make decisions about our families, Right. Don't cave in that responsibility and hand it over to our kids because you feel guilty. There's nothing biblical about that. Okay? There's nothing godly about that. And it, in the end, damages our kids. Because it says, we're sorry that God's asked us to do this. And we feel badly that God has a purpose and plan for our life. Okay? We don't want to communicate that message to our kids. Okay, so much for the side note. Whew, got that off my chest. I feel better now. <laughs> um, well here's Isaac out here walking with God and he really is pictured as this kind of model guy he's just this guy who loves God who's out here you know I mean you, you couldn't have picked him at a better time and imagine if the, how the story had gone with this and the, the uh, servant comes back and he has to drag Isaac out of a bar where he's been drinking his woes away right well it just doesn't quite have the same effect right Instead, he finds him, you know, walking with God, godly man. And uh, Rebecca notices this as well. And she sees him out there, and I don't know if he looks like he's praying or if he's kind of glowing or he just looks righteous, I don't know. But she sees this guy, and he sees him coming, and her heart starts to race. Who is this guy? She gets off the camel. Maybe she kind of hides behind the camel, peeks around the, you know, who is this guy? Is this the guy? And you just feel this anticipation as she... uh, She's excited because uh, this guy, this looks like a good a good choice. If it's this guy, I'm going to be really happy, right? And the, uh, the servant affirms that it is indeed his master. And uh, he introduces them, and it's again this picture of the garden where God brings Eve to Adam. This picture of the servant bringing Rebecca to Isaac as a gift from God. And he explains everything. He says, and he bears witness to what God has done to bring them together. And that this is indeed not just a random girl he found somewhere, but that it has been confirmed absolutely that this is an answer to God's prayer and it's God's choice for, for him. It's God's gift to him and their gift to each other. And so it is indeed a match made in heaven and uh, he takes him home, uh, puts her in Sarah's tent and he becomes, she becomes his wife. Uh, and it says that he loved her deeply right? Uh, they, they, you could put it this way, they lived happily ever after, right? Uh, takes her home, marries her. He loves her deeply. Uh, now, you know, he didn't get to pick her. They didn't date, you know. There was no online kind of chatting thing. Didn't even send letters, no postcard. It's like, hi, I'm your wife. Oh, good to meet you. <laughs> never sure how that all worked, but he made a choice. He made a choice to love her, right? He made a conscious, deliberate choice to care for her, uh, to, to be what a husband should be, one who deeply loves and cherishes honor, treasures his wife. Right? And in turn, it says that she was a special comfort to him after the death of his mother. Uh, while he was loving and caring for her, she in turn was was comforting him. Um, you know, I, I don't know, I, I can only imagine the loneliness of Isaac and his family living out in this desert. Uh, not a lot of Interaction with people, I don't know, but he was apparently quite close to his mom. And they had a very close, tight relationship. And when she was taken away, no doubt it left a huge hole in his heart, his life. And in a very special way, Rebecca fills in that empty spot and it provides companionship. Uh, and they really do, in a sense, live happily ever after. They have a great relationship. Uh, they have a blessed marriage as this match made in heaven. So that's all the backdrop to what happens in, in, uh, in verse 19 of chapter 25. And um, fast forward a few years, and we pick up the story in verse 19. It says, this is the account of, of Isaac's family. When Isaac was 40 years old, he married Rebekah. Uh, and Isaac, in verse 20, says, Pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. Okay, so apparently happily after after was not all that happily, right? Right. Um, Whatever was good in their marriage, one thing that was missing and lacking was children, right? Which is a huge disappointment disappoint f- for anybody who's married and longs to have children and can't. Uh, some of you may have or are experiencing that, that heartache. And uh, for for Isaac, was the added pressure, you know, no pressure here, but all of God's promise to Abraham is resting on your children. Where are they, right? Uh, and uh no children but it's interesting what Isaac does it says that Isaac pleads to God on behalf of his wife Right? Uh, Isaac has learned as he's meditated, thought about his his father's life he gets what it's about and he understands that God is faithful to his promises and that he doesn't have to worry or panic, but that for God's promises to come into play uh, Isaac must exercise faith Right? That the promises don't come on autopilot. That they come about as we respond to God's promise to his word in faith. And the way that Isaac exercises that faith is through prayer, through deep and earnest pleading before God. He sees that his wife has a problem, and for whatever reason, she's not bearing children. And unlike his father, okay, when when Abraham and Sarah hit this crossroad in their life, and it became very clear that God was not going to bless them with children. What did Abraham do? Well, he came up with plan B, right? Plan B was Hagar. Well, Sarah, Sarah can't have children. I'm supposed to have children. I'll just get another wife and have children with her, right? And so he went to plan B. But notice Isaac doesn't do that. There's no plan B for Isaac. And, and if you'll note, there's a 20-year time span. Okay? It's not like she couldn't have children for a year or two. It was 20 years. 20 years of no children, Right? Uh, but Isaac had learned some things from his father. And he had learned that plan B never works out so well. Right? In fact, plan B, try- not only did his father try to kill him, but at one point plan B wanted to kill him as well. Right? Uh, and uh, his mother you know, ended up sending plan B away to protect Isaac. And Isaac had seen the heartache and hurt all this had caused. Isaac had experienced firsthand what happens when we go to plan B and don't stick with God's original purpose and plan. And so Isaac did not was not tempted to go to plan B uh, instead he turns to God and he pleads earnestly and diligently for his wife. Um, he uh, wrestles with God that God would be the solution to the problem okay uh, this is impossible you know uh, you cannot you cannot. Well, we, we can make babies, but we can't really make babies, right? This is something only God can do. And he recognized that God was the only solution to this problem. And so he sought God earnestly in prayer. And he understood that knowing God's promise is not the same as seeking it in faith, right? Uh, it would have been so easy for, Abra- uh, for Isaac to take the attitude, well, God promised it, so I just got to kick back and not worry about it, right? Now, how many of you have done this? In our life, we know, well, yeah, God's promised stuff. God's going to do stuff. God's made plans. But He's just going to do what He's going to do, and I don't have to worry about it, right? If He does it, fine. If He doesn't do it, what can I do about it? You ever feel that way? Isaac could have taken that approach here. He said, well, you know, it's God's problem. I have kids or don't have kids. If I don't have kids, it's not my fault, right? That's not what he does. Because he understands well the principle that God's promise depends on us as well. Okay, God's promise is what God will do, but He always does those things in partnership with us. We are very much a part of God fulfilling His purpose and work. Just as Abraham had to leave home and travel to a land he'd never been before and step out in faith to actualize, to bring into fulfillment God's promise. In the same way, Isaac saw that he had to step out in faith and pray into existence God's promise in the form of a child. All right? Are we, and here's a question for us, are we praying into reality God's promises? Or are we kind of just passively said, well, God's going to do what He's going to do, I can't do anything about it. That's a lie of Satan. It's a lie of Satan. God is what He's going to do, but He's going to do it in partnership with you when you are actively engaged with Him in that promise. The work that God is calling you to, the things that God has put on you to do in your life and through your life, must be done in active participation with Him. And one of the most uh, fundamental first steps we take in that is to pray those things into existence. Right? That's why prayer must be such an important part of our life. Okay, prayer, prayer is the means by which we engage God's promise and see it become reality. And Isaac understood that. Um, you say, well, you know, that doesn't really say that here. Well, it's true it doesn't really say that here. He models it. Well, um, let me take just a, a minute and turn to Psalm 78. Uh, psalm 78 is a great psalm, uh, one of my favorites. It's a rather long psalm. We're not going to look at the whole thing. But the gist of the whole psalm is criticizing Israel for one of its greatest sins. Right. And uh, he begins in verse 1 of Psalm 78. This way. he says, O my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I am saying, for I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past, stories we have heard and known, stories our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about His power and His mighty wonders. Okay, so he starts off saying this. He says, I'm going I'm to give you... I'm going to give you a picture of what life is about, and I'm going to do it using the stories of old, right uh, This psalm was written probably after the exile. So Israel had a lot of history in its past, right? Uh, seen a lot of things, the Exodus, parting of the Red Sea, God's miraculous uh, work, bringing them into the promised land, overthrowing their enemies, setting up the kingdom of David. God had done some incredible miracles, right. And he said, it's important that you remember the great and mighty and miraculous things God has done. Why do, why, and hear me ask you a question. Why are we supposed to remember the miraculous things God has done? Ever wonder about that? Why did God record so many crazy miracles in the Bible? So many crazy acts. I'm right now reading through 2 Kings, the stories of Elisha. And that guy was just the coolest guy ever. He just did some cool things, Right? And uh, one of the interesting things about the Elisha stories is they don't really connect to anything. They're just these amazing miracles that Elisha did that you kind of go like, well, why? What was he doing there, right? Why did God put all this there? Well, he goes on and he tells us a little later. He says this. he He says, here's an example. The warriors of Ephraim, though armed with bows, turned their backs and fled on the day of battle. So some of Israel's warriors were engaged in battle, Uh, the enemy comes, he says they're armed with bows, they're ready to fight, but what happens? They turn and run, right? They turn and run. Uh, That act, he says, he says they did not keep God's covenant, I'm in verse 10, by the way, if you're trying to follow me, uh, and refused to live by his instructions. He says, look here, their turning and fleeing in battle was a break of God's covenant. Okay, it was breaking God's law because they refused to stand up and fight on the day of battle. He says, they forgot what God had done. They forgot the great wonders he had shown them, the miracles he had done for their ancestors during the time of the Exodus. Right? Okay, so get this. So he says, first of all, when we don't act and step out and take on the battles God's called us to, and we turn and run, we are breaking God's covenant. We are breaking his laws and his commands. And he said their their flaw was that they didn't remember the miracles and great things God had done in the past. Uh, He goes on and he talks about some of the miracles God did during the Exodus, the parting of the Red Sea, the providing of water. And he's speaking of Israel back in the wilderness. He says in verse 17, they kept on sinning against God, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They stubbornly tested God in their hearts, demanding foods they craved. They even spoke against God himself, saying, Okay, get this, I love this. God can't give us food in the wilderness. Yeah, sure, he can strike the the rock so water gushes out, but he can't give his people bread and meat. You get the picture of that? I love that, you know. Oh, yeah, sure, yeah, God could, could make water come out of the rock. You know, anybody can do that. But he can't feed us, right? Let's be realistic here. You know, uh, sure he can do some miracles, but he can't do everything, right? right? And he's criticized. That. He says, look, do you see how they were testing God? Do you see how foolish that is? That they couldn't rest on God's past great works to bring about new great works to save them. Uh, okay, get what right to his. He, he says in verse 21, When the Lord heard them, he was furious. His fire, the fire of his wrath burned against Jacob. Yes, his anger rose against Israel. Why was God so angry? For they did not believe God or trust Him to care for them. That really sums up what the whole psalm is about. They did not believe God or trust God to care for them. In other words, what he's saying in this whole psalm is this. All of God's miracles in the past are given to us to show us how God wants to take care of us now and in the future, right? How many of us have done the same thing? Oh, yeah, sure, God could, you know, part the Red Sea and He could, like, raise people from the dead, but He can't help me with my financial problems, right? Sure, He could lead a million Israelites out into the wilderness and feed a million people, but He can't take care of me, right? Right? Isn't that exactly what we say, right? we don't actually say that. But don't we think it all the time? When we don't believe God is going to take care of us, okay? Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you have worried and been anxious in the last week, the last month, right? And you've sweated because you weren't sure if you're going to have, you know, everything you need, if God's going to take care of you, maybe with your visa or with money or with some need you have. And you've worried about it, right? Okay, the fact that God has done hundreds of miracles in the Old Testament and in the New Testament okay, means nothing because I'm different. Right? My problem is so complicated and difficult, God couldn't possibly do anything to help me. Right? Or is it more that we just don't believe God really cares about us? That somehow God liked those people and He just it's not really paying attention to me, right? Right? And the, the charge in Psalm 78 is that God was furious with them because they did not believe the goodness of God and that he would care for them. Right? Isaac did not make that mistake. Isaac knew clearly what kind of God was the God of his father Abraham. A God who dearly loved Abraham and Isaac and those he called and was calling Uh, that he had a purpose and a plan, and that he was going to fulfill that plan. And it was up to Isaac to prayerfully seek God's help. That's the bottom line. Prayer is simply this. Prayer is coming to the place in our life where we know we cannot do it, and we desperately need God's help. And we turn to him and we say, God, help. You've promised to take care of me. Okay, now would be a good time. (laughs) I need your help. And you know what I need help with is impossible, but I know that's not a problem for you because you are a God who can do the impossible and the miraculous right? do you find yourself limiting yourself to prayers that are not impossible you know to, to only praying what anybody could do, or do we pray for God to accomplish his prayer through miraculous and powerful and almighty means you know God by the way you know, it makes him look good when he does things that we obviously had no part of, okay? Okay, when it's so big and so huge that everybody goes, well, wow, that was a God thing, right? Well, God gets the glory. God likes that, okay? It's his purpose. He wants to glorify himself in our life through incredible, miraculous answers to prayer. And that's exactly what he does for, for Isaac. He miraculously answers his prayer, and after 20 years... Uh, Rebecca gets pregnant. Uh, That in itself causes problems. Okay, Uh, first they get married, can't have kids. Then she gets pregnant, and she she thinks she's going to die. Right? She says, you know, there was this war going on inside her, literally this huge clash, this huge bone-crushing clash. I mean, uh, these two boys were at it from birth, from pre, you know, from from conception, right? And she said, there's a war going on inside me, and she doesn't know what's going on, and she's, she says, I don't know what's going to happen to me. I think I'm going to die. She says, what good is it, The uh, Hebrew could be translated kind of this way, what good is it to get pregnant if it kills me, right? Um, that's what maybe every lady says. I don't know. <laughs> I've never been there. Um, very uncomfortable, very painful pregnancy as these two boys are going at it in the womb. Right? Every night, Muay Thai, right? <laughs> They're getting, getting started off early. Um, what does she do? Well, she does the same thing her husband does. She goes to God and she seeks God's help. She seeks, uh, in this case, not help. She seeks answers. What's going on? God, what is going on? And again, God is faithful to give her a word. He, and he gives actually a, a, a prophecy or an oracle. He says, the, the two boys within you are two nations uh, who will be in conflict for many years to come, far beyond their own life, and and uh, the younger is going to rule over the older, which uh, was shocking word in their day. Um, again, God is faithful uh, to speak to her. And we'll talk later about uh, the the two boys, um, but let's just sum it up this way: You know, God is faithful to answer, right? God is faithful to answer. And, uh, you know, throughout Scripture, anytime people called out to God in faith, God is always faithful to answer. Right? And his answer, by the way, is never, you know, I don't really care about you, and so, you know, you're on your own. Sorry. Okay? That is never God's answer. Okay, and I know, you know, there's a the whole thing, well, God always answers yes, no, or maybe, right? It's never maybe, okay? God never says, well, I'm undecided on this one, okay? God knows. It's either yes or no, all right? Then you may have to wait a long time. You had to wait 20 years to get yes, all right? God's timing is sometimes very slow, and he builds faith in us as we persist in prayer. Okay, so God, his answer is never maybe. His answer is, you know, maybe wait, but his answer is always yes or no. And if his answer is no, it is always because he loves and cares for us. And the no means that there is a better answer than what we're asking for, right? God always answers, always, All right? So here's the deal. When you're praying, don't just throw a prayer out there and, and, you know, after the first day it doesn't get answered and you go, well, I guess God said maybe, so I guess I'll just quit, okay? Don't give up so easy, right? persist in prayer okay the thing is we need to bring god's promise into reality All right now either you don't know the promise or you're giving up too quick right or you're you're just being weak in faith okay we got to be convinced that god's promising things and he's going to work and he's going to do things and we must persist in prayer until we see god work in answer to those things right? until we get a clear either answer And, you know, the answer is if God gives an answer, and the answer is no, it's not going to be fuzzy or gray, right? It's going to be clear. He says that, Rebecca, he gives pretty clear details. Oh, yeah, you've got two nations at war in you. And he gives specific details about who wins and who loses, right? God will give specific answers. So we need to take prayer seriously and pray until God gives clear and direct answers to our prayers. And until he does our job is to keep praying keep seeking keep pursuing god 's hand to work in our life right uh, you could put it this way uh, you know we 've all seen the movie or heard of the movie pay it forward well I think we need to be praying it forward right uh, and we need to have a deeper conviction that god's will is not just going to automatically unfold fold in our life if we are passive about it. Uh, Now, God is sovereign and God, sometimes in His grace, whacks us upside the head when we weren't looking for it. I love when that happens, actually. (laughs) Um, But normally, for those who are walking with God, who have a daily walk with God, who know how to pray, God says to us, remember the things I have done in the past. Take a look at Isaac's life and remember... How I worked in his life. How I worked in the life of Abraham. Okay, I worked out my promises in participation with them as they stepped out in bold faith and took bold steps to take hold of my promises through faith and through action and through prayer. Commit yourself to pray. To pray God's purpose and will into our life. I think we need to be praying for our family. Um, You know, one of the great things about being family is when you live really close with people and get to know them really well. You get to know all their faults, right? Uh, Denise can tell you everything that's wrong with me. It's a great thing about being married. It's the great thing of humility, because if I ever think a lot of myself, I can just ask Denise, you know, and she'll tell me I'm not that great, right? It's it's a great gift, Um, and it's it's also a gift that. Uh, we can. We know our spouse, we know our children in ways maybe nobody else in the world knows them. Uh, and honestly, some of those things sometimes can drive us crazy, right? Sometimes we don't like all that we get. How are we supposed to respond to that? Well, you know, you can complain. It <laughs> doesn't work so well. <laughs> okay, you can criticize them. Oh, that goes real far. You know. I love you, honey, but right—it uh, may not be helpful. Or you could pray. You could pray that God would work in those areas of weakness in our family's life. Right? Uh, I think God calls us to that. I think it's one of the most important ministries we can have in our families to pray for those things in each other's lives that we see as, as weaknesses, as as areas of blind spots in our in our spouses and our children's life. Um, we need to be praying for our ministries for people we work with we need to be interceding and praying for the sick uh, for those who are in in desperate need and need miraculous answers we should be praying for God's hand to touch and work in their life Uh, we should be praying for the work and promise of God to bring light and truth to places like Thailand Uh, God works in answer to those prayers uh, finally, th- there's something cool about a life of answered prayer. Uh, you know, if you live a life like this, if you start living your life where you pray everything into your life, right, and you start seeing that all the significant and substantial things in your life are the results of answered prayer. Okay, that's a great gift because what that does is it gives us a, a new kind of confidence about our life when difficulties come. Okay, I love in this story that uh, God's answers to, to prayer didn't actually work out so well, all right? You know, the servant prays for a wife for Isaac, and, he, and he's, he gets Rebecca, and he brings her back, and she's childless, right? Now, if if he had not put that kind of labor of effort, of prayer into it, uh, he could have easily thought, man, I messed up. I got the wrong girl. This girl can't have kids. Okay, this can't be God's purpose and will, right? And you can start second-guessing your choices. Uh, but there's no second-guessing when it's clearly God's answer. right? Isaac never wondered, oh, this must be the wrong girl. Because he knew God had answered prayer. This was definitely God's choice. So he didn't have to panic. Right? He could be confident about his life, about his, his marriage to her, about what God was going to do because she was an answer to prayer. Likewise, when Rebecca gets pregnant, and you know she's going, man, this is going to kill me. right? Had it not been an answer to prayer, well, you wonder. But this was an answer to prayer. This was God's doing. Therefore, it must be good. It must be that it's going to work out in the end, and it does. <coughs> uh, when we build our life on the foundation of prayer, we can have confidence in, that our life is exactly what it's supposed to be no matter how difficult it gets, right? When you've got where you are as a direct result and answer to prayer, it may not go the way you thought. It may not go at all the way you thought. And you may feel at times that it, was, it is a failure. But when you got here by prayer, you never have to doubt that God's not in it and He will in the end make it successful, Right? What a great way to live life with that confidence. Go, you know, I got here by prayer. I'm going to get through it by prayer. And I know God is walking with me through it all. Right? Does God answer prayers in miraculous ways? Well, he does. And I know many of you have testimonies uh, of how God has worked. And uh, somebody, in a minute, if somebody has a testimony that you want to share, we'll, we'll give a minute for that. Let me share one recently that happened in our own life. Uh, our home, we have several uh, Thai girls who who live with us. And uh, most of them come from fairly good Christian homes, are themselves strong Christians. But one of them, uh, she uh, came from a home where there are no Christians. When she came to our home, she wasn't a believer. And has really just struggled with what faith is and to know Christ. Uh, She, to this day, is still the only Christian in her whole village. And a lot of pressure, you know, to go back to Buddhism and other things. And about a year ago, uh, during school break, she went home. And uh, on top of the influences of her family and pressure to return to Buddhism and not to become a Christian, she has a boyfriend who's a bad influence in her life. And last year, a year ago, uh, when she was supposed to return back home, she told her parents she was coming to our house, got on the bus... About halfway got off the bus, exchanged her ticket for a ticket to Bangkok, and went to Bangkok to hang out with her boyfriend for several weeks. Um, Thankfully, her dad called saying, You know, is is my daughter there? And she goes, Well, no, we thought she was with you. And uh, huge mess. And uh, we prayed and prayed, and thankfully, she came back and dealt with that. Thought things were better. this year you know it's now school break, time for the kids to go home, go visit her family. Um, we think things are good, uh, but come to find out she she 's been lying and playing these tricks again, and was planning another by t o to Bangkok to see this same boy who's just troubled bad bad news and uh, when we got this word, this information, Denise and I were actually clear down in Isan, and not here not able to chain her in her room. That's <laughs> really what we wanted to do. Uh, and, uh, and I just really felt like, you know, she's now 18 and was at a crucial turning point in her life where she had to choose if she was going to follow God and seek happiness and joy and fulfillment in her life through God's purpose and will and trust that He was going to provide the things she was longing in her life, Right? Or she was going to turn away from God and seek the world to provide her happiness and joy and contentment in life, right? And I just really felt like it was a critical turning point in her life. And uh, Denise and I just prayed. You know, we're 500 miles away. We just prayed, God, you have to work in her heart. Help her see the truth, right? And the last time that she went away with this guy, it ended badly. It ended very badly. I said, help her see where that the wages of sin is death and I mean I just prayed prayed, prayed, prayed earnestly for her like Isaac here I pleaded with God for her soul really uh, got back uh, we were able to kind of keep her captive until I got back um, got back sat down to talk with her and the amazing thing is that somewhere in those five days between God touched her life and uh, she was a broken girl I mean, broken inwardly. And uh, somehow, and I, I you know, had all the things I was going to say to convince her, you know, to break her myself or whatever, get through. I didn't have to because God had already done it. God had already turned her heart, and she saw, uh, as God revealed to her, where her life was going if she went down that path. And she said, I know it was wrong, and I've decided to go back and, and go home uh, and take care of my little brothers and sisters and be with my family, right? And I really feel like, I mean, I don't know if the battle's over with her yet or not, but I really feel like something drastically switched in her life. Uh, at a crossroads, she made the right choice because God intervened, right? Now, uh, had I not prayed, would she have done that? I don't know. But I know that I prayed and God answered, right? And I believe God calls us to intervene for our family, for coworkers for organizations, for nations. He calls us to pray. Pray it forward. Pray into reality His work and His purpose. Prayer is not just a waste of effort that makes us feel good. It's real. And God moves in response to our prayers. Let's pray. Father, we do just stand in awe that You even pay attention to our life at all. Much less that you choose by your sovereign will to partner with us and you invite us to join with you in fulfilling your sovereign purpose and will in the world. Uh, Lord, it's just, it's just incredible to me. And you could do it completely apart from us. You could do it uh, with absolutely no involvement on our part. But that's not how you operate. Uh, You call us to join with you by faith. And Lord, the reality is we still don't really do anything. Um, It's still all you. But through prayer, through faith, we become channels of your power and your work. Lord, I just pray that we would have a vision for what you want to do in our lives and in the world. That indeed you are a God who still does miracles every day. And You seek to do incredible works, incredibly great things to Your glory and Your honor so that You will be exalted in our lives and in the world. Lord, help us have a vision for that in our own life, in our own families, uh, to bring glory to Your name through answered prayer, through lives that are a tribute to what prayer can do as we step out in faith and God works in our life. Lord, we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.